y'all were at For the City last spring, and you were with us for our celebration, uh, you were there to see Bethany and I wrap up a night. And you heard my heart that I think some of the most impactful times of my life happens um, when I invite people into my living room, right? When I sit, we sit kneecap to kneecap and we share our hearts. And so tonight, I want to do that with you, okay? Welcome to my beautiful living room. Thank you. You see my beautiful Jesus paintings, mullet Jesus. Um, style, hashtag style. Um, join me. Because tonight uh, is powerful. And tonight I'm emotional. I think because God is working on my heart, every word I typed out for tonight is hitting me like, like a ton of bricks in the best way possible. I'm inviting you into that with me today. Let's hear some words from my good friend C.S. Lewis. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end. And there was no Aslan. Who's done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, said a great voice from behind their backs. It is more magic. They looked around. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had ever seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both of the children, but what does it all mean? asked Susan when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes only back to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and into the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who have committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. It was about three years ago when I had probably some of the best news I've ever heard and some of the worst news I've ever heard. Um, you see, for Katie and I, children is something that we put on our hearts right away. From some of our first moments together as a couple, we knew we wanted children, and we know we wanted to raise them to know the Lord and to be gifts to this world. And when we got married and we started um, trying to have children, it didn't come as easy for us as it did our friends. And I was, we were blessed with a miracle in my daughter Ella, and she is the most beautiful, spunky, smart four-year-old I've ever met. She's literally like God's gift to me, like Joe was saying earlier today. And a few years later, we, we wanted desperately for Allah to have a sibling. And we cried out to the Lord night after night, asking, would you just hear our cries? And I come home from work one day, and Katie hands me a positive pregnancy test after three years of trying. And it felt like a weight of bricks washed off of me. And we literally sank to our knees and we cried to the Lord, thank you 
Thank you for hearing our prayers. And a few weeks after that, Katie woke up in the middle of the night with blood everywhere. And that little miracle that we had received went into the arms of its Savior. And within a month's time, we had our largest gift we ever had and our largest heartache we've ever had. And we're at this moment where this obstacle and the reality of the fall hit us so hard that we didn't know what to do. Because within a month's time, y'all, I'm not kidding, eight of our closest couple friends, eight people that we did life with week in and week out, told us that they were pregnant, 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 told us that they were pregnant. Eight couples. And deep in our hearts, we're so joyful for the Lord that gifting them with that gift and at the same time so burdened and heartbroken that we can have that gift of our own. And yes, night after night, we would lay in bed together crying and harsh words were said to each other and harsh words were said to the Lord. And we were to, to the point in our marriage, in our life, in our walk with the Lord, that we just needed to sign. We needed hope. We needed something. Because we were in complete darkness. I remember the beginning of last school year, sitting in a circle with our staff, and Ben just asked us to, to pray a big prayer. Like something crazy, something that like doesn't make sense. Pray a big prayer for yourself, for your campus, for, for our ministry. And I broke down, and all I could mutter out was say, Lord, please give us a child, because that was the biggest prayer that I could ask for. You see, when we are deep into our, our fall section of our story, sometimes asking five words is the most that you can get out. Because when hope is not present, those words get heavier and heavier and heavier. And seven weeks ago, the second greatest gift in my life was born. And we welcomed little Nico into the world. And I just want you to take a look at that picture for a second. Because this is not just a beautiful photo with great lighting <laughs> and good editing. I did it myself. Um, this is a physical representation of the hope and rescue that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we don't have to have Nico. We were never promised to have Nico. Nothing in the Word, nothing about following Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going to get your deepest, darkest wishes. Nothing. But holding this little boy in my arms at 3 o'clock in the morning last night when I got home, I'm reminded that Jesus has an overarching story. And that his character is one of rescue. Nico is my story of hope. 
We're here tonight, and we're starting in a weird part, just like Joe mentioned in, in the morning. It's, it's, it's weird to start a sermon here, because I feel like we're in the middle, I'm, I'm in the middle of a movie, and, and, and I'm starting off. And what I'm going to share with you right now is, is typically what I would share at the end of the night, and here's, here's where we're starting off tonight. Here's where we're starting off, is that God created everything, and what we're experiencing now is broken, but it's not how it's supposed to be. Here's where we're starting off tonight, and here's where we're ending. Jesus didn't die for you. He didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. Write that down if you're a note taker. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave us life for our sins, just as God the Father planned, in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. You see, God, Scripture tells us, he's been planning this since the beginning. That the apex of this story, the greatest rescue story of all time, in the form of Jesus, God has been planning since the beginning. His plan that he told his people he was going to send a savior to take their place under the curse of death. He told Adam and Eve right from the beginning that when they sinned, that when they, when, that when they were in this stage of the fall, that he would send a deliverer who would crush the serpent of death. And that that serpent would bite the heel of the deliverer, putting um, poison of death into him. And from that point in the Bible, we see it over and over and over again this reminder that our God, that the God that I followed to give me, the God that I prayed to for hope is the God of the rescue. You see, after destroying the flood um, with Noah, he sent a rainbow as a promise for rescue. He sent it as a symbol that that the wrath that they experienced then would never, ever happen again, that this earth would never see a, a, a moment of that judgment ever again in the lifetime of this world. He did it with Abraham and his son Isaac. When God, at God's command, he led him to a lamb to be slaughtered instead of his son. You see, this whole entire system was built on this idea that the sacrificial um, concept of an innocent substitute taking place of a guilty one. You saw it in Passover where each year each family would, would, bring, um, would bring a lamb, perfect, unblemished, and, and they would lay it at the altar, place their hand on it, um, and surrender it to the Lord. Isaiah said one day God would send a servant to be the lamb who suffered for the sins of the world. He said that he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our inequities. The punishment would be brought, um, as his peace is put upon us, and by his stripes we would be healed. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Martin Luther, this is a quote from him, All the prophets foresaw that on the cross Jesus became the greatest murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, blasphemer that there ever was. Our most merciful father sent his only son into the world and said to him, Jesus, 
You will become Peter the denier. You will become Paul the persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor. You will become David the adulterer, and you will become Adam, the sinner, which did eat the apple in paradise. This is what he's saying to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, on the cross, you're going to be the husband that abandons and abuses your family. He's saying on the cross, you're going to become the immoral woman that not only destroyed her own life, but everyone that comes into contact with her. Jesus, on the cross, you're going to become the, the drug addict. You're going to become the liar. You're going to become the, self, the, the hypocrite. You're going to become the proud and the selfish and the apathetic. You see, what on the cross, the greatest gift that we've ever known, the greatest rescue story that we will ever hear is Jesus placing himself on the cross so he can become our sin. So he can become our sin. So that from that cross, he can look out at those who rejected him and pray what he prayed, Father, forgive them. So that when we are stuck in this camp of obstacles, when we are stuck in this camp of our own sin, Sometimes knowing, sometimes knowing, looking God in the eye and saying, yeah, God, I don't want you to be Lord of my life. Yeah, God, I don't want to give up control. Yeah, God, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to continue to do it. Jesus put himself on the cross to take place of that sin and still pray the prayer, Father, forgive them, for they do not know. You see, he could extend forgiveness. He can extend forgiveness to you and to me because he was being punished for you and for me. There's not a lot of great analogies out there to help us understand. I did hear this one time. There's this, this uh, um, family that living out in the middle of nowhere, and they were, there was a great like fire, like a bushfire, a wildfire coming to them. They saw it from... from way far out, and they, uh, and the father took action, and what he did was he burnt a huge piece of his own land before the fire got to them. You see what happens with wildfires, it needs, it needs stuff to burn, right? So if it gets to a spot where there's, everything's burnt already, it goes around it. And so what he did is he took this piece of his land that he burnt already and put his, fire, he's put his family in the middle of it. So when the fire reached his family, the fire went around it. You see, Jesus took the fire into himself so that we could stand on that scorched ground. Jesus went ahead of us and scorched that ground so that we didn't have to be put into the fire. You see, Jesus didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. And I think for somebody who is in this room, considers himself a Christian, I think that, uh, that statement should carry some weight. Because personally, for me, as I've been prepping for this, I'm just convicted over and over again is how much am I getting used to, how much have I gotten used to the phrase and the idea that Jesus, Jesus died for me? I've heard it thousands and thousands of times. And the, and the reality 
and the weight of it sometimes gets lost on me. But rephrasing it just a little bit, that Jesus didn't just die for you, he died instead of you, all of a sudden, that brings the weight back to me. Because here's the thing. This isn't supposed to feel good. Your obstacles, your sin, what we're being stuck in is not supposed to feel good. And it doesn't. And so Jesus, allowing himself to die instead of us, is great news. And that's where the gospel comes into play. Here's the beautiful thing about it all. Death is supposed to sting. Sin is supposed to sting. Did you know that when a, when a bee, you probably know this, right? When a bee stings you, it dies, right? You know why? It's kind of graphic. But when it stings you, its stinger literally rips out its abdomen. It gets stuck in you and all of its insides are gone. What was that? Yeah, it's organs fall out, is that what you said? Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's this idea that with a ruptured bee's digestive tract, um, it leads to a quick and certain death. There's not really any hope for that bee. But death put its stinger into Jesus. And when it did, the internal workings of death itself was disrupted. It completely changed. And at some point, death is going to come for us. But Jesus already took that stinger. We're not getting stunned. If you're a follower of Jesus here, if you proclaim him to be your Lord and your Savior, that stinger's already out. And actually, as death comes, it becomes something a little more exciting and a new transition into life with Christ. Here's what I'm reminded of every time I talk about this. Is that this idea of rescue, this idea of the gospel, this idea of Jesus dying instead of me, we are in constant need of that rescue. I think it's easy to look at our story and our overarching story and our obstacle and pinpoint a time. And for some of you, it's the time that you run on, on the paper today. And I think... And I think it's easy to be like, yes, God, I need rescue from that. That is really hard. That was really hard. What I'm walking in with today. If I could just get rescued from that, that'd be incredible. Lord, if you would just give me Nico, that'd be awesome. Just rescue me from that. And what I do is I put God into a box where I can ask him when and how I need rescued based on what and how I need saved, and where I need hope. The reality is, every day we need rescue because we live in a fallen world. And so the gospel is an everyday reality and an everyday rescue. As I wake up as a follower of Jesus, I need the gospel just as much tomorrow as I do today. I will need it in one week, in two weeks. I will need it, and God willing, 50 years and 60 years. And every day as I walk this earth, I will need rescued from myself. A lot of times, we don't realize 
um, that what we're actually looking for is hope. A lot of times we're so stuck in our own circle of hurt and pain and sin and fallenness that all we need is a little bit of hope and a little bit of light. And sometimes when we look back, we realize, yeah, God's rescued us many times and he'll continue to do it. And tonight we have a video of our, uh, one of our pro staff, Haley, writing a letter to herself during a time where she desperately needed hope and her being able to look back and realize that it was a lot closer than what she thought. Haley's story of redemption is only possible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me be clear with you guys tonight. Where Haley's at, where I am at, where each one of you are at is only possible through the gift that God freely gave us for his son dying instead of us. I'm supposed to die on that cross. You're supposed to die on that cross. Haley's supposed to die on that cross. Jesus took that cross, took that pain for himself because he loves you. The world will tell you that you're not enough. The world will tell you that you have to do this or think this or wear this or feel this or be on this side of the political spectrum. And Jesus says you are enough because I said you're enough. Jesus said, come to me, all who are broken and weary. Let me be clear. Your obstacles, your sin, the lies that you walked into the room with, what you think of yourself, what you think the world thinks of you, stands no chance against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he says, you are worthy. He says, you are my beloved. He says, Haley, you are safe. He says, Phil, here's Nico. Y'all, there is hope that I need every single day. And tonight, I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you into this posture to remember that Jesus came to rescue you. He is enough, and he is with you, and he is for you. God, thank you. I don't have many other words other than that. Thank you for sending your son to die instead of me. Thank you for taking my pride and my ugly sin on the cross so that I can be in communion with you. Tonight I pray for this room of college students. You know what's going on in their hearts. You know the ones whose hearts are beating fast. You know the ones who've heard this good news tonight for the very first time. You knew the ones who've heard it twisted just a little bit tonight that you died instead of them. Lord, I ask for deeper surrender. I ask for deeper dependence. Lord, I ask that this room of college students 
accept you freely. And as that happens, Lord, may the world change and rumble and rock because of your good news. It's in your name we pray. Amen.